the floodgates of heaven. Hello, this is Reverend Eric I'm glad to come to you through this medium. As you listen to the word of God today, I pray that you will be impacted, your life will be transformed, and you experience God. Kingdom blessings. This morning, I want to just share something very brief with you. Something that I believe will enhance your walk with God and increase your own positioning in the presence of God. I want us to turn our Bibles to Luke chapter 7, and I'll read from verse 36 to 50. Luke chapter 7, verse 36 to 50, I read. Then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box, an alabaster flask of fragrant oil, and stood at his feet behind him weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with a fragrant oil. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. So he said, Teacher, say it. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you have rightly judged. Then he turned to the woman and said to, then she turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house, you gave me no water for my feet. But she has washed my feet and her tears and wiped them with her hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Then she said, he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Then he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Shall we pray? Father, we are grateful to you this morning for your word. We pray for insight. We pray for revelation. We pray that your word will abide in our hearts and in our lives eternally. We pray that, Father, your word will be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. We ask, O oh God, that by the entrance of your word, our actions shall be altered. Our attitude shall be changed. We shall reframe our destinies to the glory and honor of your name. We bless you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. I'm speaking to you this morning on building a legacy for a kingdom overflow. Building a legacy for a kingdom overflow. There are different kinds of monarchies around the world. And some of you know that, for instance, Britain... Uh, practices what is known as the constitutional monarchy, which is different from the kind of monarchy that Saudi Arabia um, practices. Now, in constitutional monarchies, usually what you have is that the monarch is subject to the constitution, and the constitution somehow is subject to the monarch. 
And what that simply means is that for those of you who probably sometimes follow politics in the United Kingdom, you realize that even when a prime minister has been elected, he has to go to the queen to assent to him or her becoming prime minister. And the queen is also subject to the constitution, which actually means that the queen cannot take arbitrary decisions without recourse to the constitution. Amen. And um, we also have what we call the absolute monarchy, such as the one practiced in Saudi Arabia, where the king and the princess rule absolutely. So more or less, although there are laws and there are rules, they are a law unto themselves. The king wakes up one morning and gives a decree or makes a decree. It is binding on all citizens of that particular area. Now, one of the things that we have to understand is that in absolute monarchies, the citizens live to please the monarch. And therefore, they choose to do things that pleases the monarch above themselves. And it is in the fulfilling of the demands of the monarch that guarantees your privileges. So you can lose your freedom by just speaking against the king. So it's a privilege to have freedom in a kingdom where the king or the monarch rules absolutely. Now, from the perspective of scripture, when we talk about the kingdom of God, it is the rule and the reign of God over a people. So a church is not necessarily the kingdom of God, but wherever God rules and reigns is the kingdom of God. So if God reigns over your life, you become a part of the kingdom of God because God rules and reigns in your life. Amen. Now, our relationship with God is an absolute monarchy because we live to please God. And our privileges in the kingdom is guaranteed by our obedience and our relationship with God. Anyone who wants to experience the overflow of the kingdom as a privilege must build a legacy as an act of worship for the kingdom of God and of his Christ. And that is what we read from Luke chapter 7, verse 36 to 50. And I'm going to break it down. You see, within the context of scripture, the overflow represents a lasting legacy as an example to be looked up to or an inspiring example to learn from and to be practiced by all who believe in Jesus Christ. And that is why Jesus told the woman, she, he said, that this thing that this woman has done here right now is going to be a lasting legacy. And wherever the gospel is preached, her name will be mentioned. What Jesus was saying was that what this woman has done is that she has built a legacy that will outlive her. Even posthumously, she will be celebrated for this thing that she has done right here today. Now, let's get into the actual act of worship that guarantees the overflow. What did this woman do? What went on? What took place that actually came up as the building of legacy? The first one was the fact that the woman was broken. The Bible says that when she came to where Jesus was, she knelt down. Before she could even break the alabaster flask of fragrant oil, she knelt down. She was a woman that was broken. Remember that the people that were around said that if this man is truly a prophet, then he should know that this woman is a sinner. 
There was no argument about the fact that she acknowledged that she was a sinner. She was not even worthy to come to where Jesus was. But she was willing to come to where Jesus was. Why? Because she was broken. She acknowledged that she was a sinner. She didn't have or had to wait for anyone to point fingers at her to say that this one is a sinner and doesn't deserve to be here. This one is a sinner. She acknowledged that she was a sinner herself. And so she came to Jesus Christ already broken. She placed her dignity, her honor, her glory at the feet of Christ. And you see, the Bible refers to the hair of the woman as her glory. She was not concerned about the last time she met her hairstylist or went to the salon. She was more concerned about the man that she had met at that time and at that place. And she was willing to lay everything down at her feet. She was a broken woman. Now, when we talk about brokenness, with regards to our relationship with God, we are talking about a full and a total surrender to God. And, and you see, most of the time, or not most of the time, but all of us pray the sinner's prayer at some point in our Christian lives. We have to come to Jesus Christ and say, I accept you as my Lord and personal Savior. And it's deep. My Lord and personal Savior means that someone lords over you. You do the will of someone else. Now, when you go to a law court, and a magistrate or a judge sits in his or her chair to pass judgment. You may know her in private life by a particular name. But once you are in that court, you address her as what? Your honor or my Lord. And the reason why you do that is because at that particular space and jurisdiction, she has got that or he has got that authority over you. So when we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and personal Savior... All that we are saying is that God rules or Jesus rules in our lives. And so when the woman came to Jesus, she was broken. She had fully and completely and totally surrendered her life to Christ. She might not have at that particular point in time said that Jesus, I accept you into my heart. I believe you are the son of God. She didn't have a lot to say. All that she had to say was in her actions. She broke down at his feet and broke the alabaster flask of fragrant oil brokenness has to do with being fully submissive to the will of god and of his christ being the one that you try to please in everything and in all things that you do being sensitive to the promptings and to the directions of the holy spirit because remember the bible doesn't tell us the background of this particular woman how educated she was or with the depths of understanding she had with regards to spiritual things. But for some reason, she caught this revelation that she could just take a flask of oil, and I'll come to that later as to the value of it, and break it at the feet of Jesus Christ, wipe it with her hair, weep at his feet. She didn't have a revelation. She, she didn't have much understanding. Probably when people were even criticizing her for breaking such an expensive oil, she didn't even understand probably what she did. But she caught a revelation of being broken at the feet of Christ and she thought about it and she acted it. And you see, when it comes to being broken, it is not about arguing with God because all of us at some point argue with God. When you know that this is the will of God for your life, 
This is how God wants you to do it. And yet you have other plans in your mind. You go into prayer and you say, that, but God, why don't I do it this way? Instead of waiting for this long before I go about it the other way. Why can't I? I don't know about you, but I have a personal relationship with God. And sometimes I go to God not just to bind and to lose, but I go to God to negotiate things with God. There was no argument. She didn't come to negotiate anything. She caught a revelation about building a certain kind of a legacy. And when she caught a revelation, she just thought about it and acted it without even understanding the deep ramifications of what she did. She just did it anyway. And that is what brokenness to God is all about. It's not about arguing. It's not about trying to use your mind and use your wisdom. It's all about hearing it, understanding it, catching it, and acting it. Before you think about what can happen. You see, there are people in our time who even these days find it difficult, and I'll come a little bit deeper in there later, find it difficult to even do something for the house of God. They find it difficult to even preach the word of God where they find themselves. They find it difficult to openly even let people know that they are Christians by certain actions. Why? Because there's so much criticism about the things that we do in the house of God. Because of certain negativities that might have been experienced elsewhere. But one thing that we have to understand is the fact that when you are broken, you don't care what people think. When you are broken, you, are not, you, you, you don't think about what the impact of what you are doing on others. You just do it and do it anyway. Just like Nike would say, just do it. Once you catch the revelation, you do it before you think. You don't think it before you do. So this woman might not have had any deeper understanding about what she did, but she did it anyway. And when she did it, then Jesus said she has built a lasting legacy. What if she had argued with herself? When she was leaving the house, when she knew that Jesus was in that particular house and was leaving the house, and she was thinking, let me pick this uh, flask of alabaster oil. Let me go and anoint the feet of Jesus. And then her thoughts came back to her and said, you know what, this is very expensive. How can you go and pour all this on one man? Forget about it. Just go anyway that everyone goes there and look at this man, and maybe you can be inspired and come back home. She, did, she had no argument within herself. She just made up her mind when she caught the revelation to just go to where Jesus was, weep at, her, at, at his feet, pour the oil on his feet, and wipe it with the hair. That is brokenness. That is a full and a total surrender to God. When we are broken for God, we place all that we are at his feet without holding back. That is brokenness. The moment there is an argument within yourself about something that you want to do for God, something about the house of God, something about the kingdom, you are not broken. Because brokenness has to do with absolute obedience before complaint. And I'm not saying that we should be like stooges without using our minds. But sometimes our minds can enslave us. Sometimes our minds can enslave us when you believe that this is what God wants you to do. And yet your mind is telling you something else. You have other contrary feelings about what you are doing. Although you know that according to scripture and according to the revelation that I had and according to what I feel deep inside of me, this is what I'm supposed to do. And yet your mind is telling you something else. And sometimes when you are not broken, you yield to what your mind is saying. But when you are broken, you seek to do that which pleases God first before you think about what can happen. That is brokenness. 
When we are broken, we are very sensitive to the promptings and to the directions of the Holy Spirit. We obey before we think about what the impact of it can be. You see, before I move on to the second point, one thing that I, I want to tell you is this. When you present yourself broken to God, he presents you stronger to the world. Most people that will make an impact with their lives are people that are broken in the hands of God. There are people who, are tot- who have totally surrendered and submitted and fully and entirely every area and aspect of their lives to God. They are the people that God is able to use. They are the people that God is able to do so much with. They are the people that God can do extraordinary things with in their lives. Why? Because they are broken. The second thing that she did as part of the process of building the legacy was that she had reverential boldness. She wasn't scared of the people that were gathered there that day. You see, if you want to be able to do something big for God, if you want to be able to live a legacy, one of the things that you have to be able to do is to forget about what people say. You have to learn not to fear the faces of people. As I said in our time, sometimes it becomes very difficult declaring that you are a Christian. It becomes very difficult declaring that you are a pastor. It becomes very difficult to let people know that you believe in what you believe in. One day I went somewhere to an office, and then whilst I was there, the, this particular gentleman looked at me and said, there is, came, he was bold came to me, walked up to me and said that there is some peace around you. There's the, I, I don't know, I don't know you from anywhere, but I, I, I see some peace around you. Who are you? Then I mentioned, my name. what are you coming to do? I told him what I was, I was there in that particular office to do. Then he said, oh, I have, a, I have a Ghanaian friend. We used to work here and the person was a Christian. And, 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 and there's something about you that is about that particular person too. Then he said that, oh, but that person, that, that he said, the, the word he used was that that man was very religious. And this was a white man talking. He said, oh, that man was a very, very religious man. And he said, oh, I guess you are also religious. I said, oh, yes, I'm a Christian. They said, oh, yes, so do you go to the churches that do hallelujah, hallelujah? <laughs> and I said, yes, as a matter of fact, I'm a pastor. I said, ah, that explains it. The point that I'm making is that we shouldn't fear the faces of the people because the people that you fear secretly even admire what you carry. But often, we just surrender what we have because we fear to take a stand and we fear to make a stand for God. She was bold. She knew exactly what it was that she was looking for and nothing could stop her from doing it. There's a songwriter that said, I need no other argument. I need no other plea. It is certain. I know that Jesus lives. I don't need any other argument. You don't need any other argument. You don't need to prove yourself. I think since about 2017 to date, there have been a lot of things about giving in the house of God. And then and, and why do we give? And people, and, and I, am, I am a pastor. I interact with people. There are people that I know that stop giving because they listen to someone who didn't even have understanding in the scriptures. And one thing that I always tell my church members, I said, I specialized in Hebrew and Greek of the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament theology. So when it comes to the Bible and understanding the context of the Bible and the historical background, I know it 
like the back of my hands, apart from just reading the Bible more than five times, cover to cover. So when I tell you things, know that it's not just an ordinary person that is telling you the things that is there. And I always tell members of my church. But the point that I'm trying to make to you is this, that we need to be able to be bold about the things that we do and not fear. If that woman had feared and looked at all the people that were there that knew her past and knew where she, where she was coming from, she would have said, oh, there are too many people here. I can't do this. If, if, if only I can meet Jesus in private, maybe I can do this thing that I wanted to do. She didn't care about who would say what they would say. She, all that she, was, she cared about was to do something that in the end will become a legacy for her before God. We have to be able to come to this point in our lives. Where, whether in the marketplace, at work, at home, wherever you find yourself, we must be bold to declare who we are. Declare what you believe in. At the end of the day, you switch on television and all you see, you see a lot of things. People are saying what they think. They are bold to declare the non-existence of God. And yet we are not bold to declare that our Jesus is Lord. She was bold. And in fact, there was a backlash. When she broke the oil, the man that was hosting Jesus himself said that, but if this man, Jesus, was a prophet, then, then he should know that this woman is a sinner. He's not even qualified to come close to where he is. But that was not of concern to her. All that she wanted and all that she was concerned about was the fact that she had met Jesus, she was broken, she was willing to do anything and everything that had to be done as far as her encounter with Jesus was concerned. The third one, she was a giver. You see, as at 1991, people who conducted research into the value of this fragrant oil said that the oil was worth $30,000. But from 1991 to 2021, approximately how many years? About 30 years. We are actually looking at a value of a cumulative price value with about 2.24 annual percentage inflation rate we are looking at a value of about $58,000. She broke a flask of oil of $58,000 at the feet of Jesus. Listen, she didn't present the oil to be sold for the proceeds to be used to do anything else. She just broke it. And that is why when you read the other versions of uh, the, uh, you read the other Gospels, the Bible says that some people were saying that, but she could have sold this bottle of oil and used the proceeds to take care of the poor. She didn't come to take care of the poor. She came to break the oil at the feet of Jesus. And in the end, when you read some of the other Gospels, the Bible says that Jesus said, she has prepared my body and made myself ready for the burial, which will happen. Being a giver is being able to make available to God anything you have at any time. And she was willing to give anything she had. 
Some extra-biblical accounts has it that this woman was a prostitute. So probably through her trade over the years, might have saved money. And because that oil was a very expensive oil, might have saved money through her trade to buy that oil to keep as an investment. Just like people will buy a bar of gold and keep over a longer period of time, and when gold prices rise, will resell it and make some money out of it to start a business or invest it into something else. Some extra-biblical accounts has it that way. And that is why the people said she was a sinner. That is why people said she wasn't qualified to come close to where Jesus was. But certainly there is one thing about this woman that can be admired. And it was the fact that she was a giver. She was willing to place everything and all that she had at the feet of Jesus Christ. She was not concerned about how much it was going to cost her future. She was more concerned about the impact and the effect of what she was doing on Jesus Christ. And what could be the eternal reward that would be in place for her. Being a giver is to be able to make available everything you have anytime when God demands it. And that reminds me about a certain man called David. That man loved the Lord. And one day he made up his mind. He said, I want to build a house for you, Lord. I want to build something magnificent that, that would actually depict your glory to the rest of the world. Then when he made that suggestion to God, God said that it can happen. And the reason why it won't happen is because you have blood on your hands. And that was end of story. There was no further negotiation. There was no further discussion about the matter. But David being a giver and knowing who he was and knowing where he had come from and the kind of relationship that he had with God, he made up his mind. He wasn't told by God. No angel appeared to him. But he made up his mind that if God wouldn't allow me but would allow my son to build, it's the same thing. So I am going to make everything my son will need to build a house available so that at the end of the day, I can ensure that even when I'm dead and gone, the temple will be built. But you see, it didn't end there. Something very interesting happened. David went to Lebanon, bought all the cedars, kept all the gold and everything that was needed to build a temple. When Solomon became king, Solomon built the temple. And then Solomon went wayward. Solomon, the Bible said, I went after other gods. And if you read the Bible, you realize that Solomon even died in the house of a, of a fetish priestess. So at some point in the reign of Solomon, God appeared to Solomon and said, Solomon, why are you doing this? Why haven't you walked before me like your father David walked before me? Because of these sins that you have committed over time and all this flagrant um, disobedience to my regulations and rules and my ways, I am going to take away the kingdom away from you. And God himself made a statement. He said, I'm going to take away the kingdom, but because of my covenant with your father David, I'm going to take 11 kingdoms and leave one with you. Why? Because at the time when David decided to provide, when God said, I won't let you build, David decided, if you let me build, it's fine, but I'm going to provide everything that my son will need to build. The Bible says that God entered into a covenant with David and said that because of this thing that you have done, this throne will never leave your house. And it was because David provided what it took to build the temple. 
So even when Solomon went wayward, disobeyed God, did all the wrong things that could be done, God said that because of the legacy of your father David, I am not taking away the throne. You deserve not to have the throne, but I will keep the throne because of your father's legacy. Because of your father's legacy. When you look around this temple, what is your legacy? What is here in Open Heavens Temple that you can point to and say that I built this, I paid for this, I sponsored this one? Because you see, one of the things that sometimes, some of the spiritual truth we don't have is the fact that we live for ourselves and live for ourselves on a day-to-day basis, which is an error. Because if David did something for God, that even when his son had disobeyed God and was deserving of punishment, God could look at the legacy of the, uh, the, the first generation and was able to say that, listen, I will not do this, although you deserve this. I'm not going to do this. I would rather do this because of your father. I'm asking you this morning, what legacy are you leaving that one day your, your children can depend on or God can depend on to meet the needs of your children? Today you are strong. Today you may have money. But I've also seen people who have had investments in their lifetime. And when they were supposed to go into retirement and relax and enjoy their investments, everything just got whittled away because of certain changes within both internal and external environment. And their children has to be like everyone else. Start from ground to the top. What legacy do you have? What legacy do you have? And I'm talking about kingdom legacy. I'm talking about a legacy in the house of God. A legacy connected to the kingdom of God. Something that benefits God, that benefits the house of God, that benefits the people of God. That one day when you lie down, you can't speak, you can't talk, you are in a certain situation, that thing can speak to God on your behalf. It is a serious matter. In 2018, I was in Ghana for about nine months. I was working on a few projects. But I had, I think two years prior, I had issues with my health. I collapsed in the house inexplicably about five times continuous in about five months. And all the time, I'll blank, I'll, I'll blank out and then the ambulance will pick me up, take me to the hospital, will check. And then I come around, they say, you are fine. I only wake up with drips and other things. Say, you are fine, you'll be okay. Drink more water. It's because they say all kinds of things. Then at some point, I demanded that I wanted to see a specialist because I don't know exactly what is going on. They arranged, I think after two months or so, I was able to see a specialist, a heart specialist. And he said, that, oh, you know, the left side of your heart, the valve, is weak. And so at some point, it's unable to pump enough blood, and that is why you collapse when that happens. And it all happened, all the five times happened when I was just woken up in the morning, and I was just getting off the bed, and then I go. By the time I, I, I open my eyes, I open my eyes in the hospital bed. 
So I've had this back and forth. I went to do ECG. I brought it to the, the monitoring for about five days at home. Went back, did MRI. I did all kinds of stuff. One of them I went, I thought I would even die. I lied in the bed. They put me in the machine. They injected a certain dye. They said, nothing will happen to you. Relax. It's going to let your heart beat five times faster. I was just lying down, waiting what will happen. And then literally, I could see on the screen that purple thing going through my veins. And then going, then I saw it through my heart. And then all of a sudden, my heart was beating. I said, hey. To cut a long story short, I came over, did my project, and then the very day I arrived in, in, in the UK, I was supposed to see the specialist. It was a Sunday. I was supposed to see the specialist in the evening. So I went there. On my way, something hit me. When I was in the training college many years ago, a preacher, we invited a preacher to Scripture Union to, to preach. And then he told us a story about a certain man who had an orphanage. He didn't have much. He only had a farm. But he would always take stuff from his farm and feed these orphans. Then one day, that man fell ill. But that man made a request to God. It's a funny story. But for some reason, it hit me as a revelation. That was how the story went. The man prayed a prayer and said, Lord, I don't want the knife of the pathologist to touch me even when I'm dead. I want to be declared that I have died natural causes because I have worked with you and I have served you. I don't want them to see that I died because of any particular disease. And that was the man's covenant with God. He just said it in passing in prayer. And the end of the, and, and short of the story is that when the man died, the doctors that looked at him said, just go and bury him. He hasn't got, it is, he's, he's dead of natural causes. We don't need any pathology. And the man was buried. So for some reason, I was driving to the hospital. And the, from where we used to live to the hospital was just about, 20 minutes maximum. And it was a Sunday. There wasn't much traffic. But then just about five minutes entering the gates of the hospital, this thing came back and hit me. And I remember those days I had also prayed that prayer because the man said it. I mean, scripture, you know, we're young. And it was, it was a very, very powerful testimony from him. So I, the thing just hit me. I remembered it. Then I prayed. I said, God, because on that day, I was going to arrange the surgery date the heart surgery date with the surgeon on that day. That it was 3 o'clock. The appointment was 3 o'clock. So, the moment I parked, whilst I was going, I was praying, I said, God, I'm too young to go through this. I said, I've heard a lot. You can't do this. You may not be able to do this. Obviously, your life will never be the same. So, something has to be done for the sake of the kingdom, for the sake of your work. Guess what happened? I entered into the office. I went into the OPD, they signed me in. Yes, he said, go and wait here, room, this room, this. I went there, and then when it's my turn, I knocked, I entered. The man saw me and said, Let's have a seat. I sat down, looked at all, I mean, scans I have done for the last three years. MRI scan, all kinds of scans. Looked at it, put everything on the screen. I was looking at it and said, this is what has happened here, so you understand that this is this. So we have to do this, we have to do this. Listen to the conclusion. When the man finished, he was looking into my face as I sat down. I said, now we need to schedule the date for the surgery. Then he looked at the screen again and said, but you know something? You are still a young man. Why don't you give yourself a little bit of time? If this thing happens again, we'll put you on standby. Then we can arrange immediate surgery if you collapse again. But if this thing doesn't happen again, 
then you are free. Why not? Let us try that one and see. I said, yes, sir. Because, because I, didn't, I didn't want to go under the knife. And let me tell you what happened. Since then, since I think 5th of August or so, if I remember, 2018, I've never had that experience. The point that I'm trying to make to you is that legacies do speak. When you commit yourself to building a legacy for God and for the kingdom, at some point in your life, it will speak for you. You see, one day in the same book of uh, uh, Gospel of St. Luke, chapter 7, verse 5, and I'm concluding, something happened. Jesus was with disciples going about his ministry. When his disciples came and brought a certain man with him, whom the Bible refers to as a centurion, when they came, they didn't come just to ask Jesus, can you do something about this man's situation? The centurion apparently had a, a child or servant who was sick in the house. So they needed to take and carry Jesus along with them to the house for the healing to take place. Then they added something, they added something to the story. They came to Jesus and said, Jesus, this man needs help with a servant or a child that is sick. And as Jesus was listening to them, they added a few more statements. Listen to what they said. They said that this man loves our country, number one. Number two, he has built for us a synagogue. Although he's a foreigner, he has built us a synagogue. And because of that, he's deserving of this healing he's looking for. The Bible says that immediately Jesus stopped everything. He said, he said, let's go. Why? Because the man has a legacy that spoke for him. The disciples acknowledged that it was no mean legacy. A legacy of building a synagogue where the people of God can gather and worship. Whilst they were going, the man even said, that man was a man of faith. He said, listen, I'm not even worthy for you to follow me into my house. You are a man of authority. Just speak it. Most often when we read this scripture, the bit that we actually celebrate is when he said, just speak a word and it shall be healed. But we don't listen to the other side where the disciples said that he is deserving of this healing. Why? Because he has built for us a synagogue. My question again, one day when you are lying down and you are ill, one day when you are sick, one day when you cannot speak, there is no pastor, there is no intercessors, there, are, there is no one to pray for you. What is it that you have in the house of God, in the kingdom of God, that can speak on your behalf for your deliverance? What have you got? You cannot outgive God. When you give to God, he remembers it. And let me conclude by saying that. The Bible says that when the woman broke the oil at the feet of Christ, the fragrance of the oil filled the entire place where they were. See, legacy builders for the kingdom don't lack the presence of God in their lives. An aroma of God's presence that surrounds them, that announces them wherever they go to. It goes ahead of you. You see, when you build a legacy for the house of God, when you build a legacy for the kingdom of God, when you build a legacy that the people of God can benefit from, the presence of God dwells with you and in your life. The fragrance of the oil filled the place where, the, the Bible says that the entire house where they were. 
The presence of God is not about screaming. It's not about dra- dramatizing. It's not about shaking. It's about having a certain presence that is always there with you. A presence that because you sit in a particular vehicle, even when it is assigned for an accident, because of you, that accident can happen. That's the presence I'm talking about. Because you see, the Bible says that in John chapter 1, in him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness, if I when you read the original Hebrew, it says, the darkness could not grasp the light. It could not take hold of the light. When you carry that presence of Christ in your life, when you step into any place where there is darkness, light prevails. The Bible says that wherever the presence of the Lord is, there is liberty. You cannot be in shackles. You cannot be in bondage. When the true prayer, I'm not talking about, you see, sometimes we charismatics and Pentecostals have this understanding of the presence of God. Goosebumps, and I'm shaking a little. No, 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 no. That is just an expression, an emotional response of your soul to the presence, but it is not really the presence. You can carry the presence of God without falling down. You can carry the presence of God without shaking. You can carry the presence of God without vomiting. It's a presence that dwells with you, that the shackles of the enemy even upon your life cannot hold you. It has to break. When the angel appeared to Mary, she made a profound statement. She said something. She said something. She said, all these things that I'm speaking to you is all possible because it is possible because when the presence of the highest overshadow you, it is possible. Because with God, nothing shall be impossible. When you carry the real presence of Yahweh in your life, all things are possible. People will say, oh, this one, this business won't succeed. Looking at the economic climate, it won't happen. But it will happen because you carry a presence. You will be like Isaac. Isaac went into a land where there was no rain. There was famine. He sowed in the land and he was able to reap a hundredfold. He dug a well, and the moment he dug the well, because everywhere was dry, they could not hit the water table for water. Any time he dug the well, the people came and they struggled with him over the well, and he would leave it for them. And when he digs another one, they leave the old one and come to the new one. Why? Because the, the, the water that was appearing in the well was based on Isaac's covenant with God. It wasn't because he hit the water table. So the moment he steps away from that well, the well dries up. I'm here to let you know one thing, that this woman built a legacy. And my time is up, but let me tell you this quickly. Those who prevail in difficult times, those who prevail in this life, are those that build a legacy. You are looking for an overflow. This is an overflow. Jesus said that wherever the gospel will be preached, this woman's name will be mentioned. That is the overflow. She's dead. She's gone. Probably some people have even scraped away her her bones from from the graveyard and they might have built something on it. But we're still talking about her. That is a legacy. We need to build legacies in the house of God that will speak for us even when we are dead and gone. We speak for our children. Speak for the second and third and the fourth generation. Quickly before I go, I haven't discussed this. The pastor doesn't know what I'm preaching. But I want people this morning, I intentionally took my time so that you would understand 
Because these things are important things that we believers have to understand. We don't always have to do firefighting. When there is a challenge, then we run for prayer meetings and we are calling on people to pray for us. There are sometimes even in silence, God works for you because you have a legacy that is still speaking, a present living legacy that is speaking in the presence of God for you. You are here this morning. You want to build a living legacy in this house, not outside of this house. We all have connections in the house of God and outside the house of God, whether it's at the workplace and other places. But you want to build a legacy in the house. Something that you can point to all the time when you come to church, you can say that, I did this. I sponsored this. I am part of this. I, I, I was able to do that. And when you can come before God and say, God, for the sake of this thing that I did for the house of God and for the sake of this that I'm doing for the house of God, spare my son, spare my mom, spare my dad, spare my life. Give me that breakthrough. Just open that door for my life. I want you to rise up and come forward right now. Let's do this within the next minute. Let's do this right now. You want to build a legacy. I want you to rise up if you want to do it. Let's do it quickly. We don't have time. I'm not, I'm not asking for, for, I'm not asking to sow a seed. I'm saying that between you and God, you want to build a legacy. You want to do something that would, that would honor God. Just rise up to your feet. Let's do this quickly. Rise up to your feet. Let's make it easy for everyone. Shall we all kindly rise up to our feet? If you want to build a legacy, I want you to walk forward. Let's, let's do it quickly. Let's do it quickly. Just walk forward. Just walk forward. Let's do it quickly. But I want you to build a legacy that will speak for you. I'm telling you, these things work. I can give you testimonies upon the, in my own life. And that was not the only thing. I had a lower back problem. They said my desk has shifted. And this was in 2015. I don't know what happened. At the time, I was just, 2013, 2014, I was just about complete. So I thought, well, maybe it's because I've been sitting down. I was just pushing to finish my thesis. So maybe that was the case. That was, I did scans upon scans. They realized that it was a significant shift. I couldn't stand for 10 minutes. I couldn't sit. I remember I got an invitation somewhere to travel to the United States. I was on all kinds of pills. I was on morphine. There was, a, there was some, some strange tablets. I take them every four hours. And one day I remembered, I said, God, I have a responsibility to the world. Remember you told me this when you said I, should, I didn't even want to do this thing and you forced me and you tell me, and now look at the situation. You have to do something about it. After all, I have done this, I have done that. I have spoken here, I have done this, I have ministered to this, I have done this, I have done this. I have built this, I sponsored this, I bought this, I paid for this. So something must happen. I woke up one morning and the pain wasn't there. And the pain has never come back. And I have all this, I have everything to prove. I want you to close your eyes as you stand before this altar right now. I want to pray for you. Father, in the name of Jesus, as your people stand before this altar right now with the decision to build a legacy, they have responded not to the enticing words of man's wisdom, but they have responded because your word is true. They have responded because they want to experience your power. 
your word says that you confirm the words of the apostles with signs and with wonders following i pray in the name of jesus whatever they have decided in their heart to do as a legacy for the kingdom of god for the house of god and for the people of god i pray that there shall be manifestation in their lives let the results and the benefit and the privileges that follow be evident for everyone to see and that through that let their names remain before your presence as a memorial and glorify your name in their lives we honor you and we bless you in jesus mighty name we pray amen you can kindly take your seats as i said but after the close of service i think brother modestos will show you exactly where you meet and then i'll speak to you briefly before you go shall we just all rise up to our feet if we can let me pray and then we'll close we are behind time father we are grateful to you this morning we say that praise and adoration and thanksgiving be yours be glorified and be magnified we pray that the understanding the insight and the revelation of your word will continue to speak even into our lives we bless you in jesus mighty name amen